All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to be looking at chapters 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8. 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8. It's going to be a, a flyby. What we have been doing, Sermon on the Mount, looking paragraph by paragraph, teaching by teaching, Jesus in one sermon took us 16 weeks to walk through, 16 sermons. And we were looking at the teaching of Christ. And so today we're going to back up and look at the overall view of the Sermon on the Mount and how it challenges us and glorifies Christ. And so I don't want us to miss the point of the Sermon on the Mount. C.S. Lewis in his uh, popular book, Mere Christianity, had this quote. I want us to hear this this morning. I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept His claim to be God. So some people will say, I think Jesus is a great teacher, but He's not God. C.S. Lewis goes on to say this, That is the one thing you must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he'd be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something else. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let, let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher he has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. And so when we come to the Sermon on the Mount, what we see is Jesus' teaching as the greatest preacher and teacher. And what will happen is people will see the text and they'll try to live up to that teaching and it misses the point. This Sermon on the Mount is not something you can attain on your own. It's not like sitting in English class, learning from a teacher and then making corrections on a test. What Jesus is showing us is how far we fall from the glory that belongs to God and our need for a Savior. That is what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. The Sermon on the Mount is a picture of who we become in Christ. You can't do this on your own. This isn't a try-harder sermon. This isn't one of those, if I just quit cussing or if I just quit being angry, if I just quit, quit lusting, I'd be alright. That's not this sermon. It's not a do-better sermon. This sermon's not a picture of how far we fall short of the glory of God. It's a picture of the grace of God that we have in Christ. So when Jesus says enter the narrow gate, it's not us striving to get through this narrow gate to a narrow road. The narrow gate's Christ. The only way we get on that road is through Jesus. And so when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, it's not us trying to do what Jesus told us to do in the Sermon on the Mount. It's pointing to the fact of what Jesus has accomplished for us. And so one thing that makes me nervous when we go through a text like this, and there's a lot of things that we should do, right? Like shine a light. Let our work be seen by others to give glory to God. Do not be angry. Love your enemies. There, there's a lot of commands in this text. And what happens is people think, well, I just need to curb my behavior. No, we desperately need a new heart. That's what the Sermon on the Mount's about. And so my fear is we do what many people do with Jesus. Well, he's a good teacher. This is a good teaching. I'll try to do better. It's not. Jesus is Lord. And the Sermon on the Mount is a picture 
of how desperately we need Jesus. You and I need Jesus every single second of the day. Not just on Sundays, not just one time back in the day. We need Him now. We need Him tomorrow. We need Him for eternity. And that's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. So let's dig in. Number one, and you're going to see this, three simple points. Follow Jesus, be fueled by Jesus, and put your faith in Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And so when we get to Matthew 5, we also need to look at Matthew chapter 4. So here's, here's the call. So Jesus uh, shows up, comes from heaven to earth. He's living for 30 years, and then he starts calling some guys to follow him. And I want you to hear the response. The invitation before the Sermon on the Mount is to follow Jesus. And you and I are given that same invitation. But the demands are the same. The same demands that he gave to Peter and John and James and Andrew and to the crowd flocking after Jesus are the same demands he calls everyone who follows him. So I want you to hear and see real-life examples of people following Jesus. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, As he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting nets into the sea. They were doing what they do every day for a living. Right? Casting nets into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Their source of livelihood, done. They're following Jesus. Then Jesus keeps walking. Going from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and his brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. When you follow Jesus, it's a call to leave everything and follow Christ. It's that picture that we've seen so often of the guy that found that valuable pearl in a field. And upon finding it, he goes and sells everything that he has so he can have that field with the pearl of great price because that's more valuable than anything this world has to offer. And that's what you see before you get to the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is inviting people to abandon all and follow him. And the same invitation is given to us. You cannot, you cannot live for Jesus apart from following Jesus. In Matthew 4.25, it's a little bit closer to the Sermon on the Mount, it says, Large crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. People just kept coming. Nobody was like Jesus. Nobody is like Jesus. And then we get to chapter 5 and Jesus speaks. He says, He saw the crowds, He went up on the mountain, and after He sat down, His disciples came to Him. Then He began to teach them, saying. And then we get the Sermon on the Mount. You know, discipleship hasn't changed. Jesus sits down, the disciples come to Him and sit at His feet. The Sermon on the Mount is about sitting and hearing from Christ. It's not about being a better person. It's about following Jesus. Have you ever made that commitment? Have you ever made that commitment to follow Jesus? Make Him front and center. Number one priority. He will not take second. I think sometimes we think if I just show up to church or if I just give some money, I'm all right. Jesus doesn't play second. It's all or nothing when it comes to Christ. And you've got to count the cost. 
Can you imagine sitting in the boat doing what you do every day? And then Jesus says, hey, you're going to come and follow me? That's a life decision. Leaving your father in the boat. I wonder what dad thought. Old Zebedee. What was he thinking? Like, ah, Jesus. Kind of needed those guys. Leaving everything. Will you leave everything to follow Jesus? you got to count the cost. We took a trip this past summer, went to uh, Memphis, and Coach Hop and I had to weigh the cost. So uh, Coach Hop, he's the guy in the hat right here, right? Famous for saying Shazam. A couple other things that we won't repeat in the, the church building. We had to count the cost. We're, we're, we're strategizing and we're looking. And there's a lot of stuff that goes into playing. we got a group of about 15 guys going to Memphis. That's an eight-hour trip. We need rental vans. We need hotel rooms, five rooms, two nights. How expensive is that? We've got to feed them. And if you go to Memphis, you've got to do some ribs. Blue City Cafe has some of the best ribs in the country. You have to weigh the prices, the cost of benefit. Is it worth it? The Civil Rights Museum at the Lorraine Motel, unbelievable. But we also knew that it was closed on Monday because of COVID. And that's the only day we could make it because we already had the rental car and the hotels, and so everything was shifting. And so we had to decide, is it worth it to take this eight-hour trip and maybe get into the Civil Rights Museum or not? Hop said, hey, we have our window. Let's go. And then we book it down there. We make it down one day. We ask them, hey, is there any way we can get through this museum? And sure enough, there was one person that had just come back to work that week, said they'd come and open it up for us the next day. We got to go through the museum. Unbelievable. Uh, facility where Dr. Martin Luther King was shot and, and just the history of the civil rights movement in, in our country. And, and you look and the cost, yeah, it's, it's a lot of time away from family, three days, and it's a long trip in a smelly van. And it was expensive, you know, rentals and was it worth it? And, and we would say, and I believe the guys would say, absolutely, we do it again in a heartbeat. And then it comes to Jesus. And I think sometimes we look, is Jesus worth abandoning everything? So what if Jesus calls you to a different profession? What if Jesus calls you to a different state, to a different country? And I think sometimes we look like, I don't know if I can trust Jesus. I'll follow him, but I'll put limits on. That's not following Jesus. Before Jesus gets to the Sermon on the Mount, the call is to follow. If you're going to live out what Jesus calls us to live out, it only happens through following Him. Have you ever made that decision? So my plea this morning is to make that commitment to Jesus now. If you haven't, and if you have, it's always good to go back and review. Renew that commitment to following Jesus. But make no mistake, before you get to the Sermon on the Mount, you've got to answer the invitation to follow Jesus. Number two. So not only are we called to follow Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount shows us that it is only fueled by Jesus that we can live out the Sermon on the Mount. Fueled by Jesus. If you look at Matthew, you go back to chapter 1. Now listen, we're going to see this again come around Christmas time. But Matthew chapter 1, you see in verse 21, Joseph gets a word from an angel. She will give birth to a son. And you are to call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. 
So you see in chapter 1 of Matthew, where we get the Sermon on the Mount, the reason Jesus comes in the first place is to save His people from their sin. And then later on, there's another word given, speaking about Jesus and His name, which is Jesus saves people from their sin. You will also call Him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So why does God come to this planet? Why is God with us to save us from our sin? And we got to see this. As we get to the Sermon on the Mount, the readers of the day have already seen this. Jesus comes to save His people from their sin. And all of us have sin, and we're going to see that clearly here in a little bit. And we see that God is with us in Christ. God is with us to save us from our sin. Okay, so how should we respond? Well, we see that in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2. Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Matthew 4, 17. From then on, Jesus began to preach. Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. This repent word, some of you may not be familiar with it. It is turning from selfishness and sin and to God. It answers that question of following Jesus. If you're following Jesus, you have turned from sin and selfishness. And the kingdom has come near because the king has arrived. And what you'll see because of this, there's three things that we're fueled to do. Number one, fueled to shine for the glory of God. Fueled to shine for the glory of God. Now, some of you are giving off some little light today, giving glory to some things. So I see UK, UK, UK. You're repping a team. It's shot, you're, you're casting light, giving glory to a team. I also see Holmes. I like it. One person representing Holmes. Two. All right, we got two. We got, I don't think Donovan. Donovan's repping Rumpke. But <laughs> great. You're right. All of us were created to reflect glory. But many people think, hey, life's about me. And so I'm going to reflect my glory. Look at me. Look at what I do. Or lesser glories. Look at this team. Look at this program. Look at this salary. Look. But all of us were created to glorify our God. The creation should reflect glory that belongs to the Creator alone. And that's exactly what Jesus does. He fuels us to shine for the glory of God. So I want you to see this. It starts off with verse 3. And this is Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount. Mount, fueled to shine for the glory of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Those in the kingdom shine for the king. The mourner is comforted to the glory of God. The humble inherit the earth to the glory of God. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled to the glory of God. The merciful will be shown mercy to the praise and glory of our God. And when you think about that, the merciful will be shown mercy. God's mercy in our lives should translate to mercy for others. When you look at how merciful God was with us, Isaiah 53. If you're taking notes, we should be taking notes. Our Bible should be open. Isaiah 53, 5-6 is something we have to get. And this has to be something more than we just memorize. This has to get into our hearts. Think about the mercy God has shown us. Isaiah 53, 5 and 6. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him. And by His wounds we are healed. That is mercy. Why? Verse 6. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. 
Our sin is not a light thing. It requires the merciful work of God that we see at the cross. And that mercy should transform our lives to reflect mercy to others. And it's always to the glory of our King. The pure in heart will see the glory of God. You see that in the Beatitudes. The peacemakers will be called sons and daughters of our glorious God. The persecuted will have the kingdom to the glory of God. And then you see the whole purpose of this in Matthew 5.16. In Matthew 5, you can't help when you follow Jesus, you're going to stand out. You're going to say, I, I, we got a team time. And I'll tell you what, our team time, we have some smart people in our team time. I think we got the valedictorian coming up here in a couple years. She has an over 4.0. Uh, many of our students are all A's. Some of them are A-B's. It's a smart team time. But the problem with my team time is we love to fight. I don't know why. And it's not the guys in my team time. We've got the toughest bunch of girls in our team time. And, and I, I joke with you not. Every week, one of our girls will get in a fight with somebody in our school. And here, what you see, and I remember, I talked to one, I'm not going to give her name, I talked to one just Friday, I said, listen, you've got to do something with that anger. And she goes, Brown, I like to fight. That's what I do with my anger. I'm like, okay, you're right. I'm asking her to curb behavior, right? And Jesus here says, why are you doing that? You need a new heart. You need new affections. You need new desires. And so here I am, I'm saying, hey, you got to be a better person, be a peacemaker. When I should have been sharing the gospel, hey, you need Jesus. And it reminds me of uh, Miss Chains, also our security. Something crazy will go on, and her response, and she'll yell it, y'all need Jesus. Right? And that's exactly true. That's what we see with the Sermon on the Mount. If you're following Christ, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those people stand out in our world. And it's easy to see the light. And this is the reason why they are standing out. This is the reason why they are to shine. It's to the glory of God. Matthew 5.16. We've got to know this. Matthew 5.16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. That's the goal. That's the goal. That's why we are fueled to do. That's what we're fueled to do good works to the glory of God. But the Sermon on the Mount doesn't just show that we're fueled to shine for the glory of God. It also shows that we're fueled to see our sin. When Jesus teaches, I think everybody around Jesus was coming to him at the hillside thinking, man, this is a pretty good dude. He can heal people. He speaks with authority. There's something about him. And I think they overestimated their righteousness. I think they showed up and thought, we'll see what happens. I think I'm a pretty good person. And then Jesus starts to unravel, starts to peel the onion to show the heart. All of us before Christ are in desperate need of His righteousness. None of us meet the standard. And then He starts digging in. So, so check this out. Verse 20, For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Now, now just real quick, scribes and the Pharisees are the guys that kept all the rules in the day. They were morally good people. They didn't kill anybody. They didn't talk junk about people. And so when Jesus says, hey, you've got to be more righteous than them, the crowd is like, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. 
Now, I don't know anybody in the room that knows a scribe or a Pharisee. There's not too many of those guys around in Covington, right? Think about the best person you know, and Jesus is like, unless your righteousness surpasses that person, you're not entering the kingdom. And the crazy thing, their righteousness wasn't enough either. And Jesus is about to reveal that. In Romans 3, listen, this verse right here in Romans 3, if you ever read Romans chapter 3, your self-esteem will not be boosted. But you'll have a good grasp on reality. You'll have a good grasp on reality. Romans chapter 3, this is what we read. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. Paul's not done. Later on in Romans 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all missed the mark. None of us meet the righteous standard. So unless your righteousness surpasses this, you won't enter the kingdom. And then we see our righteousness does not surpass that. Matthew 20, 28 is a beautiful verse in light of this. Just as the Son of Man, another name for Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. And then in Romans 5, 8, But God proves His own love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, do you remember the two names given to Jesus at birth? Jesus, which means what? You will name him Jesus' wife, where He will what? Save His people from their sin. And then Emmanuel, which means... God with us. So God is with us to save us from our sin. God is with us to save us from our sin. God is with us to save us from our sin. And then we see with the Sermon on the Mount, that's exactly who we need. Because none of us seek God on our own. We're separated from God. And when we couldn't get to God, God came to be with us. And when we couldn't be righteous enough, Jesus comes to save us from our sin. And so when you see the Sermon on the Mount, we need to see our sin. And then Jesus starts to go in. Talks about, uh, how many of you, don't show hands. Jesus is teaching, he's like, you've heard said don't murder. And I think most of the people are like, oh, good, I haven't done that. But then Jesus doubles down, he digs in and he says, hey, this is the heart of the problem. You may not have killed anybody, but you've been angry enough that you have murder in your heart. So the crowd's like, oh, crud. How many of you guys have committed adultery? So Jesus is teaching. You have heard it said, do not commit adultery. And everybody's like, well, hey, I haven't cheated on my wife. And then he goes, but if you've lusted after a woman, you've committed adultery in your heart. And you see, Jesus takes the command that many people knew and they thought they had. And what he does is he reveals how wicked we are, how sinful we are. And until we see our sin... Until we see our sin, Donovan, you can go check that out. It's just some kids. Until we see our sin, we'll have no idea for our need for a Savior. And, and Jesus doesn't stop there. We see our sin and our lack of empathy and our lack of honesty, lack of compassion, and my lack of going the extra mile and my lack of turning the other cheek and my lack of giving to those who ask. That all comes from the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus doesn't stop there. He keeps digging in. You see your sin and your giving in your fasting, and your praying. We see our sin in our worry. We see our sin in how we treasure possessions over God. And it's again and again and again, Jesus is saying, hey, we don't measure up. We don't measure up. We don't measure up. Now, 
At that point, you can say, well, you know what? My righteousness is going to make it. I'll be okay before God. Jesus, sorry, you kind of wasted your trip to come to earth. You didn't really have to go to the cross for me. I'm okay. Jesus takes that option off the table with the Sermon on the Mount. And so as I was teaching and preaching through this sermon, what I'm seeing and what I'm doing is I'm confessing to God my sin. Man, I fall short. I fall short. I fall short. I'm in desperate need of a Savior. And what happens in that arena, your love for God increases. And you start to see the beauty and glory of a great Savior who takes our shame and covers it with the blood on the cross. Who takes all of our mess-ups and turns them into triumph because of what He did on the cross. When you see your sin, you see how great a Savior is. And that's exactly why Jesus came. Save His people from their sin. And then finally, we're fueled to shine for the glory of God. We're fueled to see our sin. We're fueled to seek God. And this is where I was getting to the anger. right? This is where I should have shared the gospel. Ezekiel 36, 25-28. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. I will give you a new heart, put a new spirit within you. That's what we need. That is what we need. This isn't a do-better sermon. This is a depend-on-Jesus sermon. We need a new spirit, His spirit. We need a new heart, the heart that He gives. I remove your heart of stone, give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow all my statutes, to carefully observe all of my ordinances. You will be my people. I will be your God. In John chapter 5, the example given, Jesus is the vine, we are the branches. Your life and my life and what we produce with our good works all flows out of being connected to Jesus. Apart from Christ, we do nothing. Again, in Ephesians 2, we've been saved by grace through faith. This is not of ourselves. We're not saving ourselves. We're not doing better. We're dead in our sin, but Jesus makes us alive. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared ahead of time for us to do. Or... As 2 Corinthians 5.17 puts it, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, old has passed away, the new has come. That's how you do it. Until you've been made new, the Sermon on the Mount is impossible for us to live. The Sermon on the Mount will only convict us apart from Christ. Because we're all guilty. Be made new in Christ. And so you see in Matthew 7, well, what are we fueled to do? We're fueled to seek God through asking and receiving, knocking and the door will be opened, seeking and finding. We can seek God because we're on the narrow road, because we know Christ. He is the narrow gate. We get to God because of Jesus, because He came to save us from our sin. And so now, looking at the Sermon on the Mount, we see we are set free. I didn't meet the standard, but Jesus did. And Jesus gives me His righteousness and He paid for my sin. Therefore, there's no condemnation for those in Christ. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. So enter the narrow gate. Build on the firm foundation. Do what God's called you to do. And it leads us to our last part. This is like a sandwich, right? All the meat, Sermon on the Mount, 5-7, through is sandwiched between a call to follow Jesus and then a call to put your faith in Jesus. All right? And so I'll leave you with this. Faith in Jesus. Chapter 8, 1 through 3, right after Jesus teaches. Chapter 8 of Matthew. When he came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him right away. The man with leprosy came up to him. Now, I don't know if many of us know what leprosy is. 
It's scarier than COVID. It's scarier than anything that we have here. Leprosy would cause you to be cast out from the community. If you had it, you wouldn't be in with people. It's contagious, and you have it until the day you die, and you stay away from people. And so here, right when he comes down from the mountain, large crowds follow him. Right away, a man with leprosy came to him, knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Do you hear the desperation in his voice? He knows exactly who Jesus is, that he is Lord, that he has the power over this disease. And he comes, he's like, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And listen to Jesus' response, reaching out his hand. You don't touch someone with leprosy. And yet Jesus isn't worried about this. It's not a big deal to him. Why? Because he has power over it. He reaches out his hand, touched him, saying, I am willing, be made clean. Immediately his leprosy was cleaned. So have that picture in your mind. Then we move down. There's a centurion. Now, hey, this is a bad dude. Right? This guy was respected. He was powerful. And he's desperate. Listen to the centurion's faith. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed in terrible agony. Something happened to this guy, and this centurion needed help. He's paralyzed, he's in pain, and this turn couldn't do anything with him. And so he runs to Jesus. Lord, the centurion replied, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, having soldiers under my command. I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come. And he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. And Jesus is astonished at his faith, and he responds in verse 13. Then Jesus told the centurion, go as you have believed, let it be done for you. And his servant was healed at that very moment. So have that picture in your head. Man with leprosy, centurion with a servant that's paralyzed in terrible agony, all coming, believing Jesus can do something about it. Then we get to the disciples. Chapter 8, verse 23. As he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Suddenly a violent storm arose on the sea so that the boat was being swamped with the waves, but Jesus kept sleeping. The disciples are in, and I don't know if they had buckets or if they're just using their hands trying to scoop the water out. But they know that Jesus is still sleeping. The boat is sinking. The storm is rising. The water's getting in the boat, and they can't do anything about it. So the disciples came and woke him up, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to die. He said to them, Why are you afraid, you of little faith? Then he got up, rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was great calm. Men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the sea obey him. So I want you to see this in perspective. When you come to the Sermon on the Mount and you see all of the things that Jesus is commanding the people to do, it would be like the disciples thinking they had enough power to get the water out of the boat, even though the boat's sinking. It would be like the man with leprosy thinking, oh, I'll be okay, I'll figure this thing out, I don't need Jesus, I'll heal myself. It would be like the centurion, well, maybe we put a Band-Aid here, a Band-Aid here, and, and you won't be paralyzed anymore. No. They knew exactly who to go to. They go to Jesus, and their faith is in Him. Jesus, if you don't do something about my leprosy, I'm done. If you don't heal my servant, he's done. If you don't stop the storm, we're done. That's exactly what happens when it comes to the Sermon on the Mount. If you're going to live for Christ... You have to believe he can change your life. And that's exactly what Jesus does. He gives new hearts and pours out his spirit, 
new affections, new desires for a new life. This isn't a try harder sermon, a do better sermon series. This is a depend on the work of Christ and watch how He transforms and changes your life. And that is the invitation. Are you following Jesus today? Is your life fueled by the power of Christ? Are you trying to live in your own strength? You'll never make it. You cannot please God on your own. Jesus does. Which leads to the last invitation. Put your faith in Him. And watch how He changes your life. He'll change it now and for all eternity. That's the narrow gate. That's the narrow road. And that's the only road that leads to life. And you get there because Jesus is traveling with you. You get there because you entered through the cross. You get there because Jesus isn't in the tomb anymore. You get there because God is with us. You get there because Jesus came to save His people from their sin. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word. Lord, I pray that You move. I pray that we have conversations throughout the day and throughout the rest of this week. Father, in this room, there's people that are not following You and Your invitation is to come. I pray that they respond and put their faith in You. Father, some are running and dealing with sin in their lives. I pray that they forsake it, throw it off, and follow You. Lord, You promise that if we confess our sin, You're faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. And so, I ask for people to confess and turn. And Father, I pray that You change lives. There's so many in our city that are heading in the wrong direction on the wide road that leads to destruction. And yet, Jesus, that's exactly why You came. Gave your life as a ransom so that you will save your people from their sin. And so I ask we get that message out to them and they respond. I ask for you to transfer people from one road to the other, from destruction to life. And Lord, I pray that we walk obediently with you. Pray that we shine for your glory, that we see our sin, that we see how awesome of a Savior your Son is. And I pray that our faith is in you. We are desperate for Jesus. It's in His name we pray. Amen.